I see you, I hear you, I am you. Welcome to Soul Sister Elixir with Kari and Leticia and embark on this heroine's journey with us. Here we are again. Yep. Happy birthday week. Muchas gracias. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do intend to celebrate the entire month this year. Nice. <laughs> I, I am all about the month-long birthdays i think I, there should be birthday month and i think your birthday should be your own statutory holiday you should get to be off work i, I it, just think birthdays yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah it's fun it's fun to celebrate though yeah did people at your school know it was your birthday yes yeah they made an announcement on the intercom <gasps> oh <laughs> <laughs> so all my little friends i have special like connection with some certain kids yeah they all came to visit me to say happy birthday oh, that's like so precious <laughs> yes it was so sweet I <clears throat> you know I was talking to you about it earlier and to my cousin today how I was so surrounded and and filled with love for, for my birthday like just I got cookies and flowers from you all the way from Canada y'all <laughs> I got flowers and hugs and gifts and cookies and just all kinds of things and it's it triggered I was triggered also during the week and so I also was having moments of sadness mm. and it was frustrating and disappointing because I was looking around and thinking I have all these reasons to be like floating in ecstasy right now to be so happy and grateful and yet I have this underlying sadness that because I'm the type of person that is introspective by then I had figured out I'm being triggered by past things so it's mm. you know so here I am you know on a day that I'm supposed to be feeling happy with these uh, wonderful things going on and I'm still feeling this it was very um sad to me because, you know, I always feel like uh, I'm growing and growing. And then I have these moments where I, I interpret as setbacks. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I sat down and meditated on it, because I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is it? What What is the root of why I'm feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And in that process of trying to figure that, I realized, number one, it's a healthy, normal human should be capable of feeling different ranges of emotion simultaneously. It is okay to be happy and grateful and at the same time be sad about something. Mm -hmm. It only it it only emphasizes and it only shows that you are like really open hearted. You're you're still human. You haven't gone over to the dark side. No. <laughs> no. And that it's okay to be triggered. You know, my cousin told me today that sometimes when you're reaching the height of something, of happiness of a goal of your career so you know when you're just uh, entering a new phase in your life and you're experiencing a pinnacle like the highest you've ever been that it's all that it's normal for it to trigger mm -hmm. things in you so yeah so then that made me feel better about it but yeah. for the most part I feel super happy like more happy than I normally am <laughs> just, well it's a new muscle that you're building to be happy on your birthday it's a muscle that I'm building to have consistent happiness, good things happen to me, you know, mm -hmm. and to have peace. Yeah. This is the first time in my life that
that I have those three things mm-hmm. and, and, and 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm used to living in a chaotic, drama-filled, um, you know, toxic relationships, you know, life. So so I guess I'm still like adjusting, like a diet or something. I don't know. Like adjusting oh, yeah. to uh, and it's crazy. Even you gotta adjust to even good things, good feelings, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they will say that there's a capacity that we have for feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're so used to um we've kind of normalized like the other way of being and so it is it is something that you have to kind of put an intention on but the other part of it what you're speaking to if I can add um the reason why humans you know would be more consumed by like why would I feel sad why would I feel depressed because the things that go wrong or bad are actually hardwired in your brain via your amygdala your amygdala is always looking around for danger And so it knows sources of things and it isn't wired for good news. That's why Oprah's network of good news didn't work. (laughs) You don't want to sit around watching good news, but they do. What do they want to know? They want to know all the drama, what happened. And it's kind of sad that kind of entertainment, like I find entertainment has gone too far now where they're really trying to shock me. And I'm just like, I don't need that. Like, please don't do that to me. Like, I don't want that in my face. But for the general populace, they want the shock factor. They want that. And that's partly because it is hitting the amygdala and giving a dopamine hit and you're alert and you're in all those things. So do know that without your conscious awareness, that amygdala has been running for a long time. And then you start to notice what actually makes you feel good and what you love. And it just, it takes some noticing that you can actually feel good. And like you just said, you can have multiple emotions present at the same time. It's totally human. And how cool that we can. And that's such a relief mm-hmm. because you know, I went from being like, oh my God, I'm so fucked up still. Like how much healing can a person do to yeah. being like, I'm just a human. Yeah. That's another shift that's happened to my life. You know, I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. just human. This is beautiful and normal that I do get sad and that I'm crying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and course. That kind of that kind of is what my intention for today's episode is. Too. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, we're continuing on uh, speaking of uh, the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant Rejecting or self evolved Parents by Lindsay uh, C. Gibson, PhD. Mm-hmm. And um, my intention for what we're going to discuss today is for somebody out there to identify themselves um, with the stuff that we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. and to see that not only are they normal they're just being human but that also they're very tender and beautiful you know and I hope that they're able to shift from being ashamed of who they are and feeling like they're too they're too big and there's no real space for them in this world to feeling like they are the gift to the world Mm. Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm well, the truth is everyone's a gift to the world and we've completely forgotten the plot. It's just crazy what has happened. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we so consumed with these other things? But the one thing that a human has, right, is a psychology. And our intention in this is to, I, should say, I shouldn't say our, we have lots of intentions that are similar. But I know for today, 
My intention is to reduce confusion. I was surrounded by confusion of what was going on around me because I couldn't quite get why things were happening the way they were. And once I started to see where this is now coming from, it's like you can exit that space of confusion within that psychological loops, right? That we had, I had been experiencing. And when you recognize the confusion or what the feeling is inside your body, you can already notice and just pull yourself back. Like, I think once you go, aha, and start to feel it, like my intention is let's reduce the confusion. So we don't sit in those psychological loops because there's no figuring it out in there. There's just none. There's no new information in there that's going to move the needle. What has to happen is to recognize that there's been patterns that have been going on and these are why. And then you can actually step back and have some observation around it and actually have a new direction to take in my, in, at least in my experience of it. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of new direction, um, I had to block someone and I didn't want to. Oh God, I didn't want to. But the reason that I did it without any explanation, I just did it, is because I feel like motherless and fatherless. So who's protecting that child Leticia inside of me? Growing up, my mom, I always felt like she chose her partners over me. So I, am I going to do my th that to myself also? Choose other people? Who's protecting my, my inner child? You know, so sometimes change takes a little bit of effort and doing something that's really hard and breaking an addiction or breaking a cycle. Mm -hmm. But choosing yourself and choosing things that are healthy for you and that will grow you and running from things that uh, bring you down, it is a muscle that we can practice and we can do it together and, mm -hmm. and start walking towards a better life. Mm -hmm. After talking about this book and doing this podcast. Mm, so good. And I know, I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast, just as you were saying that. So one of the things that my system in one of the loops was attending to, had attention towards was drama. Mm -hmm. And this was a little while back, but I just was like, no, that's, that's not even something I'm interested in anymore. And yeah. I, for the first little while, I thought, oh my God, something's missing. I, I actually don't know what's missing. And then suddenly it dawned on me. I was like, it's drama. And when it's not there and your life is actually quite calm, now there is a huge contrast when the drama shows up. You're like, oh yeah, no, no, no. Mm -mm, not doing it. Yes. Yeah. And drama is such a distraction from your goals and, and your glow up. Because we're consistently oh, wow. trying to glow up. At least I am. Now I want to yeah. look better and be better next year than I am this year you know just keep going mm -hmm. the drama is such a distraction from your glow up then you end up in the worst place possible at least for me being disappointed in yourself mm. because you've made choices and decisions that have led you to this point mm. and we ain't gonna do that no more no. this is the year of Aquarius folks <laughs> we are not doing partaking in that anymore yeah <laughs> I know I know it's uh it's so nice my girlfriend she sent me um a picture of her uh she had 
rocks from the Tofino beaches because she loves Tofino as well and had a candle mm -hmm. sitting in between the shells and the rocks and then she had sage that she was about to burn and then I couldn't tell what was quite in the other dish I think it was flowers like flower petals and um so she was like she was doing her new moon ceremony and she's oh, I was just like I love that you do that right that's so good yeah yeah so newness right so this year right rising into newness and we're still gonna stumble and trip a little and that's okay but it is a growth I mean I can tell I'm on a different growth curve than I have been yeah yeah it's so good so good okay so we're going to continue in this book and this time we're talking about chapter five I'm wondering at this point if any of our listeners um have bought the book <laughs> uh, well this is like a book club actually <laughs> really yeah are. yeah yeah oh my goodness so fun book so um very important in our lives so yeah definitely. yeah yeah but this chapter is about how different children react emotionally um to, sorry, how different children react to emotionally immature parenting, right? Because all of us act or react a little differently. Yes. Um, and so one of the big things that starts <laughs> to happen um, when she's talking about in chapter five is that you find a coping strategy, right? And so kids, because they don't know what's wrong, um, they'll begin looking for what's called healing fantasies and role selves. Now, again, these are all concepts. This is Lindsay's concept. But as we get further on, you'll see that there is this component psychologically that we do for ourselves. And what happens, though, when we do these healing fantasies and role selves, that neither coping style allows a child to fully develop his or her potential. Because of their parents' self-preoccupation, these children are likely to feel that their true selves aren't enough to engage their parents. As a result, they start believing that the only way to be noticed is to become something than who they really are. Sadly, the true self, which consists of a child's innate aptitude and genuine feelings, takes a back seat to what seems necessary to secure a place in the family. Mm -hmm. And that is really big because that part starts to speak to all the generational, right? That constellations, the generational stuff that I know that we'll always start talking about. But it is such a big deal is that people start to take on these roles. And you remember when you watched your constellation that you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly who they were. And people you don't even know kind of take on those energies. And I just couldn't believe how it was already in the system. It wasn't even my fault. Like it's literally, it was the piece, the role I was meant to play. And it's like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> so yeah, so I just, it's so interesting. Born. It's a Pardon? setup. It's a setup yeah. from the moment we're born. <laughs> yeah. There is that, there is that. Oh my goodness. So the first part that she starts talking about is these origins of healing fantasies, which I double starred, underlined <laughs> and highlighted um, because I, I actually didn't realize till I read this book that what I was in with my mom was a healing fantasy in, in thinking like, I just think I'm eternal optimist, which I really am. But like this optimism would not end with this and it was so there every time and then later in the book she says you know what you're doing when you get into these emotional cycles with a parent um who's emotionally immature is that there's there's never any resolution there and so that's when she gives you kind of um abilities and strategies right of to to pull out but you're still when you jump into those emotional places you're still actually trying to get what you needed in that healing fantasy so it's crazy um 
so here's what she says. She says, having immature parents forces children to adjust to their parents' emotional limitations. <clears throat> children react to emotionally immature parents in a number of ways as they attempt to be noticed, cared for, and engaged with. But one thing all emotionally deprived children have in common is coming up with a fantasy about how they will eventually get what they need. It's so sad. I know, but I was just like, oh, you know, that was it. Um, and you and I, even before we started this podcast, you know, of those three, like attempt to be noticed, cared for and engaged with, like you felt yours was a little bit more to be noticed. Yes. I have and... always felt so invisible. Like, does anybody realize I exist? Mm. You know, and then as a teenager, I'll be like, how could I have been sexually abused for so many years and none of you motherfuckers knew? You know, and then I had this resentment because I'd be like, they have to be fucking lying. Just, mm. just question like, uh, and I think that's where all my feelings of worthiness come from. Because I always felt like, does anybody even know I'm here? Mm. You know? Crazy. Like if I went missing, would any, how long, how many days would it take for anyone to notice? So for sure that was mine. Right. Yours. Wow. Yeah. And mine was uh, to be engaged with. Right. Like in a deep, meaningful way, like not an update, you know, not a good job. Like literally, let's talk about that. Like, I just, I just wanted to be engaged with. Mm. Yeah. Wild. Mm. Wild. Did you want to talk about the developing of a role self or was there anything in there? There's I, what I highlight, highlighted in this section, she says, but whatever the healing fantasy it gives a child the optimism to get through a painful upbringing in hopes of a better future. Many people have survived a miserable childhood in this way, the hopeful fantasy of one day being loved and attended to to keep them going. That happened to me. And I, in my fantasy, I'm going to share it with you guys, but remember, this is a child that's thinking about this. This is why it sounds so childish. My fantasy was, I know I'm in hell now. But I know I have a soulmate out there and he's going to come into my life and I'm going to be happily ever after. And I hold on to that fantasy all the way into adulthood. So crazy. But I didn't know that's what I was doing. It's, you know, it just becomes a part of, you know, how you function. Right. That, um, but that got me through, like, as a child that that gave me hope and was enough for me to not just give up yeah yeah so there's no shame in having any of the uh, uh going through no. anything we're just no. trying and to she says no one no one goes into this deliberately doing that you're a child you have no awareness beyond what is just happening in front of you right right yeah so right so then she goes on to talk about the two styles of coping with emotionally immature parents. And um, <laughs> again, these are concepts, but man, they sure, they sure line up to what both you and I um, experienced. Mm -hmm. So she talked about internalizers and externalizers. And I'll just read out kind of what she talks about with internalizing. So internalizers, right, are mentally active and love to learn things. They try to solve problems from the inside out by being self-reflective and trying to learn from their mistakes. They're sensitive and try to understand cause and effect. Seeing life as an opportunity to develop themselves, they enjoy becoming more competent. 
They believe they can make things better by trying harder, and they instinctively take responsibility for solving problems on their own. The main sources of anxiety are feeling guilty when they displease others and the fear of being exposed as imposters. Their biggest relationship downfall is being overly self-sacrificing and then becoming resentful of how much they do for others. Hey. That feels like so many women's stories I know. Oh, oh my gosh. Gosh. <clears throat> also, another thing that I want to talk about internalizers, that this is really like, wow, this for me, oh, big wow. If you're an internalizer, uh, she says, you may wonder how you ended up being so alert to other people's inner states. Because Kari, I can feel, I can feel so much. And I used to think that everybody else could. Mm. And, it, and it took me a while to, then I can feel everybody around me. I can feel when someone's sad and pretending they're not. I can, mm. I can feel when your, your, your mood switches instantaneously. When you went from normal to angry, I felt that I can walk in a room and, you know, and it says, it could be that you were prompted to be so attuned to the feelings and needs of others by something as basic as your nervous system. Mm. It's not, you're crazy. It's not your brain that yeah. you're deep, you know, defected. It mm. says, internalizers are extremely sensitive and far more than most people. They notice everything. They react to life as if they were an emotional tuning fork, picking up and resonating with vibrations from other people and the world around them. This perceptiveness can be both a blessing and a curse. She's, uh, I, I can relate to that. Now it's a blessing because it helps mm. me. If if I walk into a room and I feel chaos or or somebody's in pain, then I immediately start preparing to handle that. Mm-hmm. Or if someone's pretending like something's wrong and I can feel something's wrong, I can help them. So now I use it to my benefit. But in the past, it was, it sucked because I didn't know that it was other people's feelings mm-hmm. and I thought it was mine. Um, and also my tendency to make everything my fault. Mm. And also I'm an internalized, I identify as a very sensitive person, you know, uh, and emotional, but my, the majority of people, 90% of the people I grew up with or were that were around my life were the opposite of me. So to mm-hmm. them, I have been in, in too much, a nuisance, just too, it's just too much. So when I feel someone that's hardened like that, upset at me, I can feel you are. And I ask you what's wrong and you don't tell me, honey, my brain, if you could take, go into my brain, you would go bonkers. There's so much, I will start creating these stories and start collecting information and come up with my own thing. And because when you're a sad, depressive person, your thoughts are going to be sad and depressive. So guess what those stories told me? That I'm worthless. That it's my fault that they don't like me. That I'm the problem. You know, so that's when being sensitive is is more of a tor- torture than it is a blessing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I know you come from a fairly expressive culture. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, it's usually around kind of joking and upset, but right. you were just like sensitive, emotional. That's a very different expression than what culturally, right? Right. Uh, is of Latina. Yeah. Yes. Latino. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. And, you know, and 
And also it's uh, a, a seen as, for example, crying and being sad or being, it's seen as a weakness. I, I want to say in my culture, because that's how my family is, but I don't know if it's a societally, it's like us, if I don't know if it's like that everywhere, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Right. You know, but it, it, I grew up or in what, what was surrounding me, it's seen as a weakness, mm. but you, I, for example, me, I can't help it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I, know. I don't I know. know how to be something other than who I am, you know, and yeah. I want to be this Leticia that you hear right now. I want to be the same Leticia. If you go to my job, if you see me at the grocery store, if we go for coffee, I just want to be me, you know? And yeah. so the real me, I can't help it. I cry when I'm hurt. And when I'm hurt, I'm so hurt. But also when I'm happy, I'm so happy. Yeah. So, and people like us, Kari, they feel so good when we're happy and yeah. excited because we're fun and we, we, we bring that energy and then everybody has fun. But then only people that have worked through their own things and are grounded and are mature can uh, be in our space when we're not okay. Hmm. Because. But can you also be okay when you're like, when I'm crying, I'm actually okay. But people it's don't... watching the other people. Oh my God. It's so <laughs> uncomfortable for them. I'm like, I'm okay. Yeah. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> Tears are streaming from my face, but I'm okay. Like, <laughs> right. Like, it's why are so you bizarre. mad at me? Cause I'm crying. Like, why are you mad at me? Because I'm crying. Leave me alone then. Let me cry. <laughs> and why is crying such a bad thing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Again, I do. Yeah. It has a weakness. It totally is. I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, my son is learning that tears come from many different places, right? He's just like, oh, mommy, are those, are those happy tears? Those sad tears? But he knows now that you can actually feel emotions in a movie and cry. And it's not a bad or good thing. Like, there's no, it's not that. It's just... You're feeling it because I'm feeling the feelings of being as though I'm there mm -hmm. in the movie with them. So yeah, it's kind well, of my son. My son's 17, so there's a big age gag yeah, difference. Right. He saw me crying this past week. Like I did have some really sad moments, and he just walked by. And so later, I was like, "What? Well, what do you feel when you see me crying?" He's like, um, first of all, you har I hardly see you crying." But second of all, like, mom, I've seen you hit rock bottom and get yourself up. I've seen you like be super sad. And in, in three days, you've shifted your mind and now you're back to happy. Like, I'm not worried about it. I saw you crying. I know tomorrow you'll be all right. right. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I was like, what? He's like, mom, you're really a strong person. So it's yeah. fine. Go ahead. Cry if you want to. I'll leave you alone. Yeah. And yeah. that was so awesome because now I know that my son just thinks it's normal to be a human. You know, and my son, it's part of your process, right? It's just part he's of not as process. emotional as I am by any means. My son is very stoic. It's so bizarre. No. We're totally opposite, but he's very comfortable because he grew up with me, the most emotional, yeah. sensitive person in the world. Poor guy. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh. Um, I just wanted to read what she, what she talked about, what it's like to be an internalizer. Cause I think this will help people kind of understand. Um, so again, this is chapter six. Um, as children perceptive, as children perceptive internalizers can't help but notice uh, when their parents aren't truly connecting with them. They register emotional hurt in a way that a less aware child doesn't, and therefore are affected deeply <clears throat> by growing up with emotionally immature parents. 
because internalizers are sensitive to the subtleties of relationships with loved ones. When they have an emotionally unengaged parent, they are much more aware of the painful loneliness that results. Mm -hmm. So in this chapter, right, we'll look at the characteristics of internalizers. And I really, she, she devotes a whole chapter to it because it's not that external, it's not that people don't become externalizers. It's just that the externalizers tend to express their feelings outwardly and then they make really impulsive decisions um, rather than kind of going internally to try and figure out what's going on and mm -hmm. so externalizers tend to not do a lot of self-reflection mm -hmm. it's not to say they don't struggle it's just she's kind of in this book mm -hmm. tuning in more to the internalizers because we're always trying to figure out what is going on why does this feel off what is going on so mm -hmm. she devotes a whole chapter to it and as you said right? You just even read about the nervous system, right? I mean, that's what starts to happen. Yes. Yeah. How she also um, says, because this happens to me, this is mm. so, internalizers don't act out their emotions immediately like externalizers do. So their feelings have a chance to intensify as they're held inside. And because they feel things deeply, it isn't surprising that internalizers are often seen as overly sensitive or too emotional. When internalizers experience a painful emotion, they're much more likely to look sad or cry. Just the sort of display an emotionally phobic parent cannot stand. On the other hand, when externalizers have strong feelings, they act them out in behaviors. Um, <clears throat> hold on. on the, they, the externalizers, when they have strong feelings, they act them out in behavior before they experience much of the internal distress. Therefore, other people likely see externalizers as having a behavior problem rather than emotional issue even though emotions are causing the behavior mm. and when externalizers are told that their behavior is a problem internalizers get the message that their very nature is the problem yeah and I start that because it was like yeah it's like my sensitivity my emotional uh overly emotional ways was like the problem and I'm like I don't think that's the problem Right. But that's what, as a kiddo, I would not have known different. As I got to an adult, I knew it wasn't right. But it's still, I was like, why did that happen? Why did they do that? Right. So this starts to explain it. And then it becomes so hard when you do have, uh, when your parents are emotionally phobic. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why I like talking about this stuff. Okay, great. You identify that this is you. Mm -hmm. More importantly, it gives you the opportunity to heal because if not, we're going to repeat this with our children. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, and it's so important because you also repeat it in all your other relationships. Mm -hmm. I feel like every relationship I've had has been with an emotional phobic person. Mm -hmm. I'm repeating the same thing. So here I am, a very highly sensitive person. And I keep, you know, meshing with people that can't tolerate <laughs> my very existence. That's so crazy. And you know, I've had that, I've had, I... It's very interesting because I do kind of look at the world and go, wow, it does work in mysterious ways, right? Mm -hmm. So some people that are listening, I don't I don't know how much I would have mentioned it, but um, I have been married twice. Uh, my first husband passed away um, from cancer when he was 30. And, um, and his name was Chris. And I had a really great relationship with him. Lots and mm -hmm. lots of depth. He was an Aquarian. So like... We hit it off like nothing. Yeah, it was so good. Like super deep conversations, like hours on the phone. It was just an easy. And um, 
we still had our little parts of strife for sure. But he was one of these guys that I traveled the world with and it was so every day I woke up, I'm like, I would choose you. Like you're my best friend. This is so cool. And I feel very blessed because I also have a second partner who is different, very different than Chris. Alfie is very different than Chris. And it's good because I was at a different stage in my life, right? When I, when I met Alfie, um, but the ability to be emotional and who I am has been allowed in both of my marriages. I, so I haven't chosen the emotionally deplete, which is so interesting to me. That means that I had enough emotional maturity to know what was okay. I would yeah. say dating in my thirties, I knew something was off and I, I didn't choose those guys, but it was, it was really wackadoodle with those guys. I was like, something is wrong with you. <laughs> um, yeah, something is wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> But um, the fact that I've been with two really um, self-aware, very kind, very just heartfelt humans, I feel very blessed for that. And that that has made a huge difference in be, being able to heal from really what the toxicity is, is around, you know, my mother relationship, right? Which has been so, so... Um, upside down messed me it like so it's not been easy because it doesn't from the outside it doesn't look bad but the yeah. inside is so having a very stable marriage has really helped me do yeah. that sometimes I apologize to him that he had to he's had to hold so much space for me to heal but I so I do feel really lucky right like all this stuff happened but I didn't get partners who then added to it I have had partners like that that I fell into it but I think my higher self knew, like, you've got to be with someone who's able to hold all of you. That's amazing. Not me, honey. I guess I'm one of those. Oh. Hard... No, you know, we have, all have our things, right? I have a relationship with my mom where I know she loves me, but I know she hates me at the same time. And that's exactly how I feel with every of my, even the ones that, yeah. you know, the my latest one that seems like it's peaceful. I still feel like that person loves me and hates me at the same time mm. because behavior you know yeah. So, yeah. um I, i'm i'm repeating this but now i'm more aware of it so like yeah i can uh heal my, but one thing and i've always said this to you i love alfie so much and mm. see you guys together like seeing your relationship with alfie renewed my belief in love mm. you know and it it made me want to be like okay maybe i do want that because i had gotten to a point where i'm like i'm done with relationships like I am my own baby like moving forward I'm the center of my universe you know but I'm like I want something like this this is so like even in the house like you guys have a thing he's putting the clothes in the dryer and you're hanging it out of here there's there's like a flow it's just <laughs> it's so nice and I'm so happy that you've had that I don't know what that feels like but I can imagine that it's like heaven on earth yeah. just to have someone there that holds you and supports you mm. not just physically which is nice no. yeah but also emotionally god that's yeah. got an amazing feeling mm. and i would say that there's parts where i you know crave the like really deep talks that's not healthy really he does now more so do that with me but he wasn't that guy but he was this guy who was able to just be with who i was and I, here's the interesting thing here's what i've noticed so both um, my husbands have been my best friends, which I feel so grateful for. And um, one thing I noticed, so there, there were like three, 
And there were four of us girlfriends at the time in our late thirties going, what the hell is happening with men? We're all in the dating world. We're like, this is junk. What happened to them? Like what happened to men? Do I have to keep lowering my standards? And one by one, each of us met someone. And it was, I will tell you that it wasn't the hot, fiery, like, obviously my picker had been off when I was dating in my thirties. Cause you think, oh, it's so exciting. It's this. But actually every one of us that felt, oh, except one, one is still, she's still kind of in, anyway, the twilight. three of us. Yeah. It's a struggle. Um, it's, we all met, we were like, but I don't know, like, it seems too nice. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of like, oh, you're weird. No, but it's like, the, the truth is what it is, is that you met someone who was emotionally mature to not send you through the roller coaster ride. And it actually, the, the pack, all those things grow with time because you actually meet at a level. You're not like trying to outdo one another. It's so good. But yet you you will think you're in something boring. I will tell you that. I'm glad you bring that up because my, all my relationships, every time I felt like I've, every man that I've loved, which is not that many. Uh, and sometimes I question if I've ever even really loved because just, they've all been so toxic. I don't know, but they've all been that fiery, yeah. uh, intense, yeah, like sparks flying everywhere, butterflies in my stomach. And here I am thinking that means this is, this is a yes, yeah. but in reality, it's like a fire where it's going to burn. Run! <laughs> it's not saying you can't, but I just, I think that the, the truth is, I think the longevity of a really good one is they become your best friend. And I love that. That's what I hope for myself. I hope one day yeah. find a guy or he finds only. Yeah, I know how old you are. You got lots of time. Don't worry. I almost said it. No, I'm not going to do it. Say it. But yeah, like, yeah, I met Alfie right in and around the age you are. So yeah, how fun. Well, there is hope after all. Oh, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And here's what was really interesting after my family met Alfie. There, my, I won't say who it is, said, wow, how were you still on the shelf, Alfie? And I'm like, hi. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's funny. But anyway. Okay, let's let's move along. But anyway, so that was a little cute interlude of of what's possible in partnerships, right? Yes. Yeah. And nothing's perfect. Of course nothing is perfect. We're not trying to paint that. But man, if you have your best friend, you also don't call them nasty names. You don't go down into the dirty end of pulling out their weaknesses. You don't do that. So being with a best friend, I think just keeps you on the level because you wouldn't keep a best friend if they started shit talking you. You'd be like, I'm out. So if your partner's willing to dive that low, then yeah. So anyway, so as friends, we respect each other first and it doesn't mean we don't have difficult conversations, but we always come back to the table because we do and we deeply care about each other. So I think it's a different way to go into a relationship. It's, it isn't necessarily fireworks, but um, it is so, yeah, it's expansive because you can both grow within it. No one's but, trying to outcompete each other. No, not yeah. doing it. Yeah. Hey, um, one thing that, um, that I, uh, 
certainly knew I didn't like in relationships was sarcasm. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about internalizers have strong emotions, um, when you're with people who are emotionally immature, often they will um, devolve <laughs> into sarcastic comments, right? And they, it, sarcasm is the lowest form of humor. I mean, I like teasing. My family does a lot of teasing and that's, that's, that can be really, really fun. But when they touch on something that's like really important to you and really like, like they know it's the thing that you're insecure about, like that's just, that's just cruel. So I, I mean, I, I stick far away from people who are super sarcastic because I don't find that funny. I mean, once in a while, okay, but like I wouldn't never get into a relationship with someone who was super sarcastic with me. I have been, Chris was actually a very sarcastic guy, but, but not with me. Yeah. That's also like such passive aggressive behavior. Like if you got a problem, say it. Just say like, out loud what you mean. Well, why are you, okay, so that's such a cowardice thing to do. Just mm -hmm. if you have a problem, just let's talk about it instead of doing that. You know, that mm -hmm. definitely, I, yeah. I my, my parents were very sarcastic with each other. It was hard for me. I didn't like it. And that's why I know now why I didn't like it. Mm. Right. Because it pokes at the things that are important to you. Right. And you're just like, why would you do that to someone? That's not very nice. But teasing and like your little insider jokes, those can be totally fun. Right. Yeah. Totally fun. Yeah. So the next thing she talked about was internalizers have a deep need for connection. I like starred that, circled it. I just felt like it's what I always wanted with people. I just always wanted a deep connection. And um, so it, she says, if there's anything internalizers have in common, it's their need to share their inner experience. Mm -hmm. As children, their need for genuine emotional connection is the central fact for their existence. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah. Yes. That was me. So people can't understand, right? When I'm like, no, like, I want to know you. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> yeah, I know you. Remember our trip to Tofino with Amy? How much fun that was? Oh my God. Being grown women going on a road trip and sleeping like in one hotel room. It eating was like pajama party heaven. Market, eating fresh fruits and veggies. And no, it was so good. It was so good. I mean, it was so, I mean, that, those were the things, right? You start talking about the real, because when you spend 24 seven with people is when those deep things show up. Mm. That's what I love about that. You know, meeting a friend for an hour or two, you can have friendships for years, but anytime I've spent length of time with women, like over periods of time, like if you go on a retreat together or like we did, we did a trip to Tofino together. I was like, man, you know, you get connected in a way that you just can't on those little coffee dates. It was, that was the my trip to Victoria to go see you guys was so so healing it's not even a trip yeah like it was a healing like spiritual experience mm, it was so it, good I, my it filled my soul and my heart and yeah. all the beauty we saw and the singing yeah. the singing on the road trip and the mat like just it was amazing the, yeah. you know I loved yeah. it loved yeah it. So good. But that's that deep connection, right? So um, so they read people closely looking for signs that they've made a connection. This isn't a social urge, like wanting people to chat with. It's a powerful hunger to connect heart to heart with a like-minded person who can understand them. Yeah. I can't even tell you that feels like <sighs> the, my flag of my existence. Yes. Oh, crazy i'm oh. like yes and people are like oh uh, no and i'm like well you're not my people then yeah. <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah. and you know i used to uh be friends with all kinds of but now 
I'm very selective. I need soulful, deep connections. I don't want to just chit chat surf. Like, you know, there's some friendships where they're like, they have a tragedy you don't even know. Or they, I don't want that. I want to know everything, the good, the bad. Like, I want you to know me and I want to know you, you know? Oh So that's what I'm cultivating, just surrounding myself with people that feed my soul. Right. Oh, so good. I'm getting like the shivers thinking about it. Um, This other little piece, you know, because me, I, you know, I like, I do like the science behind things, but uh, research has demonstrated that securely attached babies demonstrate stress and breakdown if their mothers stop responding to them and show only expressionless face. The poignancy of this distress can be viewed online at YouTube with the keyword still face experiment. I, I actually didn't go because I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to know because I know like how awful that would be. Um, I mean, we love it that our little nine-year-old guy, like as I walk into school, he grabs my hand every day. Right. And it's like, oh my God, he's not, but you get to school, like too cool for school. He's got to like run out ahead of me. It's so funny. Um, but he still wants to like cuddle in our bed and be in our bed with us. Cause I think, yeah, because he really does feel seen. He feels very connected to us. And I love that. And you probably had that with Drew. Yes. You know, now yeah. he's 17 is different. He doesn't really. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, that's different nine to 17. One day he dared ask me to drop him off around the corner so that I didn't have to go back <gasps> to <laughs> So we went through that little phase Heels, but, yeah. that happened yeah, he cuddled yeah. and held hands for a very 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 right. long time i know so i know so good he said he was a mama's boy he probably is right. but he cares yeah my so son good. he knows that if something goes down i will be like a lioness whether he's wrong or right mm -hmm. i will defend him and mm -hmm. he knows that and i have seen it in certain circumstances how he's empowered by that yeah you know so uh, children need to be seen and protected mm -hmm. and exactly so when internalizing children have self-involved parents they often think that being helpful and hiding their needs will win their parents love unfortunately being counted on isn't the same thing as being loved mm -hmm. and emotional emptiness of this strategy eventually becomes apparent Children who try to be good enough to win their parents' love have no way of knowing that unconditional love cannot be bought with conditional behavior. Oh, oh, oh. my God. And you know, there's people heart. that play the role of the, the, the good, the good kid or the golden boy and golden girl in family. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And so everybody goes to them for everything. And so they think, oh, this person might admire, admires me and sees, but then when, but then they feel really empty when they really need someone because these mm -hmm. not connecting to them on an emotional level yeah being sought out for for help or for advice or for money or for assistance is not the same thing as being loved it's not no relationships will feel you leaving they, they just make you feel empty yeah sometimes you don't know yeah. sometimes you don't know what's happening you just know that something's off and you don't know what it is yeah Whew. Now you were going to end with a really great one. So we're going to skip one because we're going to go to this next one, but then I'm going to come back because we just thought this was such a good one to share, but um, the one that you're going to share, but th this was an interesting one for me because that is one thing I could never understand is when I hear my parents say, you know, Kari, she was such a good kid and, you know, she never gave us any trouble and I'm like, yeah, but does that mean that I was 
that I needed less? Like, I don't know. So she talks about internalizers become invisible and easy to neglect. Now, as a child, I never felt neglected, by the way. Um, but she does talk in here that there can be that component where they give you all the physical safety needs of that, but then you can be emotionally, right? It's not emotionally there. Um, but this felt a bit like my experience of how it was for me. Internalizers often appear to need less attention and nurturance than externalizers because they rely on their inner resources. Being internalizers, they're embarrassed to ask for help and instead try to solve problems on their own. They hate to feel like a bother. Actually, mine wasn't that I hated to feel like a bother. It was, I didn't know if I was going to be made fun of. That mm. was not good for me. And that I, it, it, my mom intimidated me a lot. So therefore going to her felt really vulnerable because I didn't know if I'd actually get what I needed anyway. So then I often wouldn't go didn't feel that way with my dad actually felt pretty supported and cared for um with that so they don't like to be a bother but this makes them low maintenance children who are easy to overlook for busy and preoccupied parents this self-reliance may invite neglect parents may think their child is getting by just fine without much attention indeed self-contained internalizers do seem to get by on less attention but this doesn't mean they can get by on emotional neglect mm. because emotionally immature parents see their internalizing children as better able to care for themselves, they allow these independent children to have more of a life outside the family. But even though their internalizers can cope more independently, they still long to connect with their parents and capture their interests. So and even to this day, my parents aren't, they, they like to talk to me, but they're not necessarily curious. Well, my dad sometimes get curious, but my mom is never curious about who I am and how, what makes me tick and why am I choosing certain things? Like, those questions never really come up. And so it's just been interesting to notice is like, oh, okay. Like m my desire was for that. Um, but that's okay. I found it. I did find it elsewhere. Right. But it is interesting to see that it's like, oh, that's, that's why I look like I was this good kid that didn't need a lot. <laughs> it's crazy to, to see a child that they're independent. Okay. And they might be more mature, but you know, to think that they still don't, they're still not a child. They still mm. have those emotional needs and those milestones they have to reach. Mm. You know, and how lonely it must feel. Mm. You know, and for me, what hit, what hit home for me is she talks a little bit after that, how internalizers don't see abuse for what it is. Mm. I even put, holy shit in next to that <laughs> yeah because yeah. because internalizers look within themselves for reasons why things go wrong they may not always recognize abuse for what it is if parents don't label their own behavior as abusive their child won't label it that way either even as adults many people have no idea that what happened to them in childhood was abusive mm -hmm. as a result they may not recognize abusive behavior in their adult relationships right and i have experienced that yes mm. mm -hmm. you know where abuse is so normal to you mm. that you don't you don't know that there's another way or that mm -hmm. you don't have to deal with this right and so then you, you're just reliving the same thing over and over because you don't know it's insane right. it's mind-boggling right. yeah now here's the thing though 
what you and I are highlighting this for is because when it's when it's the water within which you swim or the air with which you breathe, you won't know there's a difference. But what you and I have recognized is that we can move beyond the psychological components that got laid down when we were kiddos. And yes, we've repeated them in adulthood, but this book also started to highlight there's a way for us to see it and then step away from it because there is a different way of being. Like your worthiness is not tied to any of these things. You were inherently worthy when you were born. So therefore you can actually step newly. And it is a little scary, which is why we hope in time to have more of a community around us. So when people take these, what's going to feel like brave action to set a healthy boundary with an emotionally immature parent, you've got a community who has your back, right? You've got a sisterhood that has your back. So I do think there's this thing where you can feel like really stuck in an eddy, but this book gives you that visual to kind of like pop back from it and go, wait, hold on. The good news is that's what's happening and that doesn't need to continue. Thank goodness. Right. Thank goodness. It's a hopeful piece of all this. It yep. definitely is. Right. Oh my goodness. The other, the other one that um, she talked about was internalizers do most of the emotional work in relationships. So internalizers put a lot of emotional work into, into their family relationships. Mm -hmm. Internalizing children often steps into the parenting gap. Mm. That was a really common one. Mm -hmm. They may see, uh, they may take on this form of being overly responsible, such as caring for younger siblings when parents are swamped with a crisis, or it could mean paying attention to everyone's feelings to see who's upset and who needs to be calmed down. Mm. Right. Internalizers, Natural sensitivity prompts them to do emotional work for their parents. This is a big one. And this is what showed up in my constellation for sure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the internalizing child's emotional work even extends to parenting the parent, listening to them, offering reassurance and giving advice. Mm -hmm. These children can get roped into playing the role of emotional support person long before they're mature enough to do so. Worse, sometimes a parent dumps painful emotional issues on a child, but then brushes off any advice the child tries to give a role reversal that can continue long into adulthood. In addition to being a no win situation, this demands excessive emotional work from the child. And that is kind of where my straw has broke. Mm -hmm. It's just, I can't keep doing that because it is exhaustive. It's futile. Yes. Like my family often come to me for health related things, but then they don't listen anyway. Like why come, right? Mm -hmm. Why ask? So now I just, I listen it's okay. I don't need to offer anything up. Um, but definitely I knew when I was a teenager, I was like, why do I feel like I'm parenting my mom? Yeah. It was, it was bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I continued. Yeah. Ooh, this yeah. chapter, right? Yes. No one could read my book. <laughs> it's full of stuff. It's full of stuff. Yes. Yes. Now you were coming back to, I, we thought we'd land, end, sorry, on like a really, like in a way, a hopeful note of like, why, why does this happen? Yes. And on that right page 107. Yes. So do you, do you want to read that? Because that, that was one that just totally My hit home for you. Part, Yay, yeah. So good. Yeah. <laughs> According to neuroscientist, Stephen Porges, uh, mammals have evolved a unique coping instinct in which they are calmed by proximity or engagement with others. 
instead of just having the inv involuntary stress reaction to fight, flight, or freeze, like reptiles do. Mammals can calm their heart rate and reduce the physical cost of stress by seeking reassurance, uh, reassuring contact with others of their kind. Certain mm -hmm. vagus nerve pathways in mammals have evolved to allow stress hormones and heart rate to be reduced by comforting in such forms as physical closeness, touch, soothing sound, and even eye contact. These calming effects com uh, converse valuable energy and also create pleasurable social bonds that promote strong groups. For all mammals, including humans, something magical happens when their desire to seek comfort switches on. The danger might not go away, but individuals can stay relatively calm as long as they feel tied into their herd, pack, or circle of loved ones. Most mammals have stressful lives, but thanks to their instinct for engaging with others, calming comfort and restored energy are just a friendly contact away. This gives mammals a tremendous advantage over other animals when it comes to dealing with stress in an energy efficient way, since they don't have to go into fight, flight, or freeze every time they sense a threat. Mm. says it's crucial that internalizers see their instinct for desire for emotional engagement as a positive thing rather than interpreting it to mean they're too needy or dependent. Instinctively turning to others for comfort when stressed makes people stronger and more adaptive. Even if they've been shamed by an unresponsive parent for needing attention, their emotional needs show that they're healthy Mammal mammalian instinct for seeking comfort is working well. Internalizers instinctively know that there's strength in being independent, as all mammals are evolved to be. Only yeah. emotional interdependent. Interdependent, sorry. Yeah, yeah. All mammals are evolved to be. Only emotionally phobic, emotionally immature people believe that wanting empathy and understanding is a sign of weakness. Right. Again, just another way for us to read and go, wait, hold on. We sensed it. We know only it. emotionally phobic people see you wanting to be comforted yeah. and seen and understood and heard would think that you're crazy or too much. Mm -hmm. Being a sensitive, open hearted and emotional person only means that you are a mammal functioning properly yes. <laughs> I love that it mm -hmm. is it's so true and it's so good to hear like again it's it, it, it leans back into when she started this book and said much of what you're about to read you already knew and I just wanted you to know that you were right all along I mean that is it like there's a piece where we've kind of been searching and wondering Yes. And then this, right, kind of allows us to step away from that, those cycles that started when we were children. We couldn't have known any different, but we knew something was off. Mm -hmm. I knew something was off. And the good news is, is then you can, right, kind of be an adult going, oh, wait, those needs can actually be given in another way. I don't need them as a child anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really a beautiful thing. Yes. Yeah. Really, oh, yeah. <laughs> so good, so good. These conversations again, I could be in them forever. It's so good, so good. So thank you for sharing all that you shared, and you I sure hope people are getting something from this. And as we work towards having a community, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, right. 
email us, please. No, we will never single you out, but it sure would be nice to know what you want to hear more of and be um, relate. Yes, how you're relating, what's helpful, right? What sounds that's resonating. Because if all of us start to tune differently, man, this world is going to shift. So excited for that. Yes. Yeah. So good. All right. Well, you look adorable. I love how you were dressed today. We both wore purple, by the way. It's like, well, how do we do this? <laughs> we don't do it on purpose, y'all. It's so funny. We just it's got so a funny. great minds think alike situation that we can't show up wearing the same color. <laughs> That's exactly it. All right. All right. Well, I love you, Letty, and uh, we will talk soon. Yes, ma'am. Bye. Bye.